Let's go to the Lord again. God, as we turn to your word, we ask that you will open our ears to this truth. Open our eyes to you and your glory. Father, open our hearts and fill it full of love for your son, Jesus Christ. We confess that no amount of reading, no amount of praying, no amount of working will ever do that for us. Lord, you must do that on our behalf. And that's what we ask now. Lord, by your sovereign grace, do a work among your people. Strengthen your church. Help us to endure to the end, to stay committed to the work. And we will praise you for it. Father, we pray the same for McLean Bible Church Main Avenue campus as they come together with Pillar DC. Father, as that new church is planted, may they too rest in your sovereign grace. May they turn to your word and stand on your word and proclaim your word even if no one else will. Father, I pray that as they proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ, that you will open ears and more will come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you for the Guthries. We thank you for their ministry. We ask that you will continue to do a work among them as they reach out to the Aboriginal Australians and to the Timor-Lestians and those of Indonesia. Father, do a work among them and we will praise you for it. Lord, we ask that you will continue to send out missionaries even among the Arabs, the Moroccans of Morocco. Father, we pray that you will send brothers and sisters in Christ who are willing to forgo everything else in life except one thing, and that is letting people know who Jesus is. Father, make it so. Father, that's our prayer here in King George County that we will forgo everything else even comfort in our own lives, what we've come to expect and to enjoy even, that we are willing to forgo it all so that our neighbors, those who are lost, will come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Lord, that's our prayer here in this fellowship. If there's a single person who does not know, open their eyes today. Strengthen your people. It's in your name. Amen. When you're in the midst of an intense battle, it doesn't matter what it is, what is needed to make it through? What about you when you're personally attacked? You know, it's one thing to look at and say, you know, in a battle, a person needs this, this, and this. You can stand off at a safe distance, but what about when you're personally attacked how does a christian make it through how how do you defeat the enemy and honor god in his book the roots of endurance john piper looks to three christian men who endured much opposition in their lifetime and yet stayed the course and they persevered triumphantly and have become heroes of the faith Three men, one Charles Simeon. His legacy goes on in the Charles Simeon Trust. 
He was a minister in England back in the late 1700s and early 1800s. He ministered for what's described as 54 challenging years. 54 challenging, uneasy, difficult years. His ministry dealt with opposition that was so severe that his parishioners boycotted his services for 12 years. Another man, William Wilberforce, you may know him from the movie that was made a few years ago, Amazing Grace, he battled for 30 years to help end the slave trade in England. And then another 26 years to see slavery ultimately declared illegal in that country. The third man, who's also seen in the movie, John Newton, used to be one of those slave trading captains. He says that he's haunted by those, what he calls, 10,000 ghosts from his past. John Newton used to be a slave trader, but has become saved by what he calls amazing grace. And thus the hymn he wrote. These three men endured much in their lifetime. John Piper points out that these men were not perfect. They definitely had dark seasons in their life. But what kept them going? What keeps you going? What enabled these men to continue and to last in the faith for as long as they did? And what's going to help you endure? Piper writes, and I'm often reminded that faith is a marathon. It's not a sprint. And all Christians of every generation, every Christian who's ever existed, who exists now and will exist, need help to endure to the end. Every believer needs God's sustaining grace to continue. That's what these three men turn to. That's what I turn to. That's what you need to turn to is God's sustaining grace. Piper says about his own life, and I agree with him, that every Christian needs and every Christian will agree with him. When he says, I long to endure to the end for the glory of Christ. And I want to help others do the same. I want to endure to the end and finish well. And it's only by the grace of God that it will happen. What is obvious about every Christian life is that there is no pain-free existence for the Christian. Piper points out that the demands of being a Christian today in the 21st century will prove to be a rude awakening to Christians. I hope you're awake this morning to see this opposition and how to deal with it. Here in Nehemiah 6, this is the third chapter where Nehemiah faces opposition. A battle has been ensuing here. Now, it hasn't been a physical fight, but it's been intense. This time, it's become personal, though, and everything 
in this battle at this point is aimed directly at Nehemiah. In chapter 4, it was opposition from outside the city. Nehemiah deals with it through prayer and guarding against attack. In chapter 5, there's internal division among the Jews. Nehemiah deals with it by fearing God, and that causes him to stand for the truth and then to love the way that God loves. And now here in Nehemiah 6, the opposition continues. And this time it's directed right at Nehemiah. The work has continued, but so does the opposition. In chapter 6, Nehemiah is a victim. He's a victim of plotting and scheming. He finds himself like a dartboard full of holes and the darts just keep coming. It doesn't matter how he moves. If he tries to get out of the way, the darts just keep flying. Maybe you've had a, a week that's like that. It's been full of trials and difficulty, not of your own making. These chapters remind us that any work of God, whether it be building a city wall, raising children, being a witness in an environment that is anything but Christ-like, planting a church, sharing your faith and helping others, even heartfelt, earnest service for Christ will face problems. If you attempt to do something to the glory of God and for the good of His people, you can expect opposition. Either opposition from outside or issues within. And the cause of this, and we need to be aware of this, the cause of this opposition is Satan, God's enemy. He's constantly at work trying to prevent what God is doing. And so each of us, each of us who are serving the Lord, we need to be committed like Nehemiah. But we don't look to Nehemiah for inspiration. We look to who Nehemiah looked to for inspiration. Our great God who gives His grace so freely and so abundantly. I pray that what God does here for Nehemiah in chapter 6 will be encouraging for you today. Take heart and know that God is sovereign even over all the trials that you face. And He's working for His people. The enemies may be plotting against you. They may be secretly meeting and trying to thwart your service to God. But God cannot be ensnared or defeated. But make no mistake about these enemies. They are enemies of God. The opposition to the Lord's work is not just a different point of view. It's not just an opinion. These enemies of God are evil because they're against God. They're not of God. Their efforts are to resist and block the work from being accomplished. And they're bent on countering what God says. J.I. Packer writes, Nehemiah's narrative of opposition to the building of the walls should be understood in terms of Satan's hidden hand of hatred 
to the work of God. In our passage, Satan turns his attention to Nehemiah in a direct way and he wants to destroy him personally. Satan, being God's enemy, which then makes him our enemy, uses schemes to discredit and undermine Nehemiah and God's servants. He has one goal in mind, and that is to stop you from making it to the end. That means his goal and your goal of enduring to the end, these goals are going to come and collide together. They're going to have a head-on collision at some point in your life, and maybe that's now. We need to be looking out for his schemes, and we need to know how to beat them. There are several lessons for us to be aware and to be encouraged in our text. When the enemies of God try to bring you down, may God's word here help you stay the course to endure to the end and to finish well. Now, there are three schemes of the enemy that we're looking at. There'll be another one next week, another kind of internal conflict. But today we're looking at deception, accusation, and spiritual attack. Deception, accusation, and spiritual attack. Once again, we hear of Sambalit, Tobiah, and Geshem. We heard from them earlier in the book of Nehemiah. These men are used as pawns in the devil's schemes. We already know that they're against the city walls being completed and they're against every stone that's laid on top of that wall. They're against all the work. The higher the wall gets, the more determined these enemies seem to get. They want to stop the work and they implement different schemes to try and make that happen. And Nehemiah knows they want to do him harm and they use fear As a weapon, we're told that three times in our passage. First in verse 9, they all wanted to frighten us, he says. Again in verse 13, for this purpose he was hired that I should be afraid. And in verse 14, they wanted to make me afraid. Fear is a common tactic that the enemy will use. Remember that fear is a common tactic that the enemies of God use on the people of God. This is not the fear of God that I've spoken about for the last two weeks, nor is this natural fear that's used in a good way, having a sense of some kind of approaching evil or some kind of impending danger that's coming at you and reacting to it. Like standing really close to the edge of a cliff and the fear of falling will keep you back away so you don't slip and fall off. I'm I'm not talking about that kind of natural fear. The scare tactics the enemy uses here is a fear that springs from unbelief. It's failing to trust God and his promises. It's an an ungodly fear that uses self-preservation as a motivation. If these enemies can get Nehemiah to be scared, 
where he becomes timid and he jumps at every little sound, then the work will stop. Making him afraid leads to doubt, and doubt leads to panic, and the work can't be finished when everyone's panicked. This fear is a direct contradiction to faith. We're told faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. If the devil can shift you away from assurance and conviction, if he can get you off balanced and wavering, then his goal of stopping progress and reaching the end is in his sight. That's his goal. These schemes are all a ploy to destroy God's work and his people. If the enemies can get Nehemiah to be scared, then maybe they can get the upper hand. To make this happen, he'll use different tactics to make both Nehemiah and the people afraid. The first tactic is deception. In verses 1 through 4, the enemies try to mislead Nehemiah. Sambalit and Geshem send Nehemiah an invitation to meet. That, that seems harmless, doesn't it? God's people should always be willing to meet and talk to people and show hospitality. That's the very thing the enemies of God are going to use to try and mislead. You see, all the enemies have done is shifted in their approach. They've gone from mocking and jeering to what seems to be a cordial political meeting. It's almost as if they're waving the, right, the, the white flag. The wall's built. They're almost done with the work. All that's left is to set the doors in place and everything's completed. They want to meet on the plains of Ono. But Nehemiah says, and this is not original, when they want to meet on the plains of Ono, Nehemiah says, oh no. He knows what's behind the invitation. They're using flattery here. All of a sudden, these enemies are now treating Nehemiah like an equal. Having a, and just a simple meeting of the minds, Nehemiah. That's all this is. Nehemiah is supposed to forget all that's been said before. <laughs> Nehemiah, we, we really didn't mean it when we said those things about you and your work. Let's, let's just talk about things. Let's talk it out. There's been no recognition from these men that anything has changed. No remorse in these men. Even the location that they choose, oh no, the plains of Ono, even the location is suspect. The plains of Ono is away from the city. It's halfway between Jerusalem and Samaria. Nehemiah would be completely in the open, vulnerable to attack. And they try four times to get Nehemiah to meet there, but he refuses. Is Nehemiah just unfriendly? Is he unwilling to talk and, and work things out? No. God has given Nehemiah discernment. The answer to the scheme of deception is discernment. Nehemiah turns down their invitation. He says in verse 3, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. 
Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? Even in his answer, Nehemiah is telling everyone what is most important. As God's servant, the most important thing is to remain committed on what God has given him to do. He's determined to follow the path that God has set. Nehemiah has priorities. Sambalit and Geshem and the rest of what he says are enemies don't set his priorities. God sets Nehemiah's priorities. This discernment from Nehemiah is not something that we can assume is innate within him. Now, Nehemiah may be a strong individual and he seems dedicated and he may have this laser-like focus for the work, but being able to see past the devil's schemes takes God's grace. Nehemiah knows that God, not Artaxerxes, has given him this task. Nehemiah knows that God, not the strength of the Jews, has stayed the hand of the enemy. And Nehemiah knows God, not any person, good or bad, determines what he ought to do. This is God's grace. Nehemiah is a man of principle. He won't be swayed by a moment of supposed triumph or obligatory concession, the meeting of the minds, or superficial fake peace. Nehemiah will not bend. Because God has set His steps. There's wisdom to be learned here. We all need discernment to beat back the enemy's schemes. Discernment looks past what's presented in front of you and sees the broad and the long-term view of God. See God first and then everything else comes into view. Think about that for a second. Sambalit and Geshem are looking at this wall. They don't want that wall. They don't want another stone to be set on top of it. They don't want the doors to be put in place. But God isn't just building a wall. He's setting the stage for His Son to come. It's, it's the difference between looking through binoculars and looking through the window of the space station. The views are drastically different. Every Christian needs the eternal view of God. That's discernment to beat back the schemes of the devil. So deception, it doesn't work. So in verses 5-9, through the enemy changes tactics and turns to accusations, slander, and lies. They accuse Nehemiah of rebelling against Artaxerxes. They pin an open letter. They try to sway public opinion against Nehemiah. If they can get others to believe what he's doing here, then Nehemiah will have to concede and bargain for terms that puts them on the upper hand. This, what's going on in verses 5-9, through is gossip at its worst. Slander and lies are tactics the enemies of God uses all the time. That's in His name. 
The devil, his name devil, it means slanderer. The devil is all about slandering God and his character. Therefore, he's going to come after believers and try and slander his people. Casting doubt and and stealing fear that God is not who he says he is. Did, Did God really say that? Is he really that way? You don't know the truth, do you? These devil's pawns are smearing Nehemiah with everyone they can. It's been said, broadly speaking, it's reported among the nations, and Geshem says it, where is this report? Who's spreading it? It all comes back to them. As people hear these lies, some will certainly believe it, They are discrediting Nehemiah's ability to lead the work. People don't want treason and betrayal to lead them. Nehemiah is a victim here. The enemies seem like they're defenders of truth. They're they're trying to keep the peace. But all the while, what they're doing is scheming and undermining the work. Don't listen to rumors, and to gossip. Don't be a part of spreading gossip. All you're doing is participating in the devil's schemes. Rumors can cause havoc if left alone. Gossip rips people apart. They, they have to be confronted. They will spread like wildfire unless they're stopped. You have to confront them head on. You have to address it, and you have to speak the truth. Now, we tell our kids all the time to ignore the mean things that people say. So what's the difference here? How come when I'm at home and Kalia comes to me and tells me something that someone said, and I say, well, just, just ignore them, honey. Just, just keep going. Keep doing what you've been taught. And now here... I'm saying confront the rumors and the gossip. What's the difference? When someone says something about you, it's their words against what others know about you. But when they attack your character, when they go after your intent, essentially when they go after what you are all about, that needs to be addressed because... The Christian is all about God. God's people are always pointing to Him. So Nehemiah does that. He he denies the rumor. It's not true. He's not there to start a rebellion. He's God's servant doing His work. He says, this is mere gossip that you're spreading. And then he prays. That's how we are to act. We need to respond to slander with truth and pray for strength. Now, a brief word in how we are to respond. It's not enough just to respond with truth and then to to pray to God. We have to know how to respond. In Matthew 5, verses 11 and 12, we're told, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. 
Now verse 12. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now this is hard. At times it seems impossible. Sometimes you have to fight really hard for this joy. Partly, what helps you in that is knowing as a Christian you will be slandered. People will say false things against you. But this doesn't take the pain and the difficulty away. It only prepares you for it. Joy, patience, and love are what's needed to get you through it. Joy, knowing that you're now blessed because of it. That's what Jesus says. He says, blessed are you when others revile you. Rejoice in that blessing. Rejoice, your reward is great in heaven. So keep your thoughts toward that, that reward, not on the present circumstance. And that will then give you the patience that you need. And love for God and His people will then pull you through that time. I'm preaching to myself before I'm preaching to you. But we also pray for strength, don't we? We don't just know the truth and then go and try and live it out on our own. We can't do it on our own. We need God's grace to sustain us. His grace gives new life and it strengthens that new life. It maintains it. It builds it. We need His grace every day. Especially when there are accusations and lies against us. We, we turn to God. We put it in His hands. And we ask Him to protect us and keep us going. And we lift our eyes toward Him. And He says, I'll do it. I will handle it. The third scheme in verses are in verses 10 through 14. They are spiritual attacks. It says spiritual attack. Nehemiah is called to the house of Shemaiah. Now Shemaiah is some kind of prophet and he's confined though to his house. And he sends for Nehemiah. Nehemiah comes and he tells him that the enemies are coming to kill you. Now, if a man of God who claims to be a prophet, a a religious person who seems in every way to be a man of God, comes and tells you that this threat is coming against you, I think your your ears would perk up and you would hear and want to listen and then say, okay, what do I need to do? He urges both of them to go hide in the temple. That's the first red flag. Only priests were to go into the temple. It would be a sin for Nehemiah to go in. Now, Shemaiah is supposed to know this. And he's confined to his house. But now he can all of a sudden go to the temple? That's the second red flag. First is his suggestion just to go there. And second, he's going to join Nehemiah there. I thought he was confined to the house. Something is not right here. 
Nehemiah responds with incredible courage and he's faithful to the scriptures. He says in verse 11, should a man of God run away? And what man such as I could go into the temple and live? It's a sin to go into the temple. That's how you know it's a spiritual attack. The temptation is given to sin. Nehemiah says, I will not go in. And I understood and saw that God had not sent him. He sees that it's a spiritual attack. Nehemiah understood that Shemaiah was hired to get him to sin and give him a bad name and then use it against him. Now, running to the temple on the surface of that, running to the temple seems good. It'll be seen as religious. He's, he's including God in this. He'll, he'll have God's protection over this, right? God is a refuge. But this is where knowing Scripture is important. God is our safe place, but the temple is holy. And only at that time were certain men chosen to go into it on behalf of the people. The temple is still to be holy. Nehemiah knows this. And he adheres to God's word. He knows Shemaiah is not of God. That tells us just because others claim that they are of God or what they have to say is of God doesn't make it from God. We have to test everything with the Scriptures. The Bible is our litmus test for truth. We have the Bible given to us to beat back the enemy's scheme of spiritual attack. If we know the Word of God and we stand on the Word of God, then the spiritual attack will miss its target. And then in verse 14, Nehemiah prays to God. He puts his trust in Him. And on this, J.I. Packer says, One must commit one's cause to God and embrace the assurance that He will vindicate one in the end, whatever happens in the short term. To beat the schemes of the enemy, God's people have to remain resolute, stand unswerving, and know what is God's truth, and then not bending to the fear of man. Not being without fear. Okay, we know Nehemiah was greatly afraid back in chapter 2. But having learned to trust God and put his hope in him, not giving in to fear. That led Nehemiah to give his fears to God and then to pray and remain committed to God's sovereign plan. So what do we learn from, from this part? We know you and I need to see that spiritual warfare involves all Christians. No one is immune to it. Paul was intimately aware of it. He was conscious of what he calls the devil's trap in his letters to Timothy. We need to pray and stay committed to God's sovereign plan. Charles Spurgeon said this, Our anxiety does not empty tomorrow of its sorrows, but only empties today of its strength. 
what he's saying is, is if you give in to your fear and you don't give it over to God, you're going to be left weak, open for those spiritual attacks. We need to turn to God. We need to pray to Him. We need to trust Him and stay at work for Him. This is what Nehemiah did. He looked to God and we need to do the same thing. Now before I close, it's important for every person here to understand that it is absolutely impossible for you to have discernment, for you to know truth and to have the strength that Nehemiah was was given and to be aware of spiritual attack without personally knowing the reality of God. A person must be alive to God. His glory has to be seen with spiritual eyes and cherished with a new heart. This is only possible by receiving that sustaining grace through faith that's given through His Son, Jesus Christ. Only with Christ are we able to beat the schemes of the enemy. We need to trust Him, commit ourselves to Him, and God will give us courage and ultimately victory through Him. Seeing the spiritual realities of this world is necessary, and only Christ makes that possible. Nehemiah was looking to to God, trusting in what was to come. We need to look to Christ knowing that His coming has fulfilled all that we need to be counted as God's people. And His coming again, His promise to come again is what sustains us and keeps us going. To endure and finish well and receive the blessed life with our Savior forever. Where schemes are no more and the enemy is nowhere to be found. God beat the schemes of the enemy. Strengthen our hands and keep us in your sustaining grace. Let's pray.